Again, thanks to Tim and thanks for the church, the opportunity to be here. We really appreciate uh, that. And as I said, we only work through the local church and you can hear better from Tim even than, than me or Bruce, just the story of a young child whose life's been changed. And that's what we're, and their family, transformation, giving, making a difference in the lives and hearts of young people and their families in those under-resourced countries around the world. And today I want to give you the opportunity to be a part of that and make a difference. On the back you'll see as you go child profiles like that and it'll tell you the story of a child in that Thailand, Myanmar region uh, with whom you can make a difference. And as, as Tim said, opportunities in the future to go and visit and see what's happening as you're visiting maybe some of your missionary family, you get also to catch up with kids whose lives you're making a difference with and, and see the difference that happens over the years because it matters. It really matters, and I uh, appreciate that. And by the way, you've got so many kids here. It's fantastic. Uh, really good. My, uh, my wife and I have nine kids, and we've just had our 24th grandchild. So it's kind of like all of our kids, all of our grandkids went at once to, uh, to Sunday school. So, um, and a great name, Under Construction. What a tremendous name. That should be the name of the church, all churches. Because we are under construction. God is doing stuff in us to make a difference in that. One of the things you do when you sponsor a child, and, and um, you heard it shared before, but is you, you change the momentum of a child's life. That a, a child has a, has a momentum who lives and born in poverty, which is a horrific thing. No choices, no options. Get up in the morning, they've got a choice what they're going to put on or, or what they're going to eat. And it changes the momentum in a child's life uh, from hopelessness to hope, from despair to faith, to possibilities, to options, opportunities. So this morning I want to talk to you about a topic we don't talk about very much and it's, it's a topic, momentum. Talk about momentum for us as, as people who follow Jesus or are looking potentially to follow Jesus because if we're honest, sometimes in our faith we lose momentum. In our life, we lose momentum. We just uh, find ourselves sometimes stuck. You can go through all the practices of your faith. You can pray as much as you can. You can you know, do your daily devotions, but still sometimes find yourself stuck. I don't know if you've ever done that, but you can sometimes do that. Those practices in themselves don't always make us Take one faith step after another. And I want to talk about that this morning, about momentum in your faith. And sometimes we feel bad because when we hear other people's stories of faith, you, you hear the highlight reel. You see people go from the highlight reel, one high to another. You might see it on, on some sort of social media or people tell you the, the highlights, but you don't see the everyday life. That happens, and sometimes our experience of God has a big intermission. So, if I was to say, When's the last time you really experienced God working in your life? you might have to think further back than you would like to admit. Sometimes we just get stuck. So, I want to talk about this thing called momentum, and hopefully, it helps us along the way. The definition of momentum in the dictionary is a quantity of motion of a moving body measured as a product of its mass and velocity, or the impetus gained by a moving object. It comes from the word to move, the Latin word 
to move. And we can see it in all sorts of life places. If you're in business, sometimes your business will have a momentum. Sometimes it won't. If you're a sporting freak like I am, you can see it on the football field or sometimes in the cricket field where you just hold your catches where yesterday you dropped them. Where today the ball bounces your way, whereas yesterday it bounced away from you. Um, you see it, I've watched the final of the um, rugby league, uh, rugby uh, World Cup, and you can see people doing little chips over the top, and sometimes it bounces right into their hands, and that's the momentum of the game, and, and they're able to uh, get a try. Sometimes it bounces away. The thing about momentum is this. When you have momentum, you actually look better than you are. When you don't have momentum, you actually look worse than you are. So this thing called momentum is really crucial. I want to share a few thoughts about that with you this morning. And I don't want to try and give you 10 points towards gaining momentum. I just want to share with you a few thoughts and encourage you, maybe challenge you, to change the momentum of someone else as well as your own. So let me just share with you some thoughts, thoughts that I've been distilling for a little while and um, they're my thoughts, they're, they're kind of thoughts that I've been processing in my own life. The first one is, I've only got three, so it's always good to tell people how many you've got, because you kind of know, close to when it's getting to the end. Um, but uh, I want to share those thoughts with you. The first one is this, it's a very simple thought, it just says, ensure you're living a new covenant faith. Ensure you're living a new covenant faith, and why I say that is because we've just shared communion, which is the, the incredible celebration and recognition of the death of Jesus. But one of the other things the death of Jesus brought was not just forgiveness, that's big enough in itself, but he brought a new covenant. He brought a new way to live. Up until that point of time, people of faith lived under an old covenant and it changed the moment Jesus breathed his last. A new covenant came into the world. It's, a, it's an amazing thought. I want to share with you, you know, the Bible says in Christ you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Sometimes I think we mix them up. We don't really think the old is gone. We want to add to the old. We want to add a veneer over the old, the veneer of Jesus. But Jesus actually came to bring a brand new covenant, not just a beefed up version of the old one. That's important. I want to share with you the picture of two doors. That door there is the, the front door of the Guatemala Compassion Office. It's, you go, it's a big, solid, steel door. It's got fingerprint recognition on it. You have to go up and place your finger on it and it lets you in. You get into a chamber about this big inside where there's another door, this time as a camera. So the first recognition is fingerprint and then there's visual recognition. Somebody lets you in. I asked my colleague there, why do, the, why they're, uh, you know, why do you have uh, fingerprint recognition? Why do you have the second um, recognition as well? He says, well, people know there's some money inside and they were quite easily, because of the drug culture of the country, they were quite easily just cut my finger off and put it on the thing. There has to be a second verification. Inside that door is, is a beautiful office, but that's the front door. That front door, when I approached it, was cold. It was harsh. It was uninviting. 
It was just the sort of place that gave you a few shivers just to see it. I want to show you a second door. This is a, a door that I saw when I was just passing through um, the city of Los Angeles last year. And this is a cafe. It's called the Original Pantry Cafe. I don't know if anyone's ever been there. It's on the corner of a, two streets called Figueroa and Ninth. And this cafe um, has another door. There's the doors there. These doors have never been closed or locked since 1924 when the cafe opened. Almost 100 years, this cafe has been open. Those doors have been open. You can see there's no lock in the door. There's no keyhole. They've been open constantly for nearly 100 years. In the morning when you go there, I took this in the afternoon, in the morning when you go there, the lines go right around the street. There are... Um, construction workers in high-vis vests lining up for breakfast. There are people going to work in suits. There are tourists. There are homeless people lining up to go in there to have breakfast in the morning. That door is not closed. It's welcoming. It's inviting. It's, It's winsome. It calls you in. Those two doors, if those two doors represented a church... Which one would you prefer to be part of? It's not hard to decide, is it? If those two doors represented your life as you grow, which doors would you like to be representing of your life? Open, inviting, welcoming, or harsh, crusty, cold? I know which I'd rather be. If... What's your view of God? Is it the door with the tough iron steel protection? Or is it the open, inviting God of grace? And how you answer those questions will help us understand the momentum we have in our lives or otherwise. It will do that. So I want to share that. And you see, this is a, a crucial thing. As I said to you before, the death of Jesus was an extraordinary event, not just for the forgiveness that he brought. As I said, that would be enough. But it was accompanied by catastrophic events. Earthquake happened. Rocks were split in two. Dead people rose. The veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. It was something even more than that. It was the coming of a new era where God was now relating to people through the death of his son, not just in some legal old covenant way. It's, it's an extraordinary event. And so you realize that Jesus lived in very difficult times because he lived in old covenant culture because it didn't come into effect until he died. There has to be a death for a new covenant to come or a will to come into effect. So he lived in old, old covenant culture but he brought new covenant values. That'll get you killed. You try living that sort of culture, it'll get you killed, and it did. So the covenant comes with his death, and now there's a new era for us. And one of the hallmarks, one of the crucial hallmarks of that new era is that God has now put his spirit into you. He's now put his spirit into your life. See, under the old covenant, kind of the spirit was 
out there somewhere and he came on people to anoint them for a task. But under this new covenant, those who followed Jesus were promised the gift of the Spirit themselves. And this relationship with the Spirit moved from outwards and on to inwards and out. That's the, the movement. Let me just share with you a couple of scriptures about that. Peter, who was a fairly brash young disciple who gained some perspective along the way, preached his first sermon on the day of Pentecost. And he kind of gathered people together and said, you know, um, we were all part of this travesty of Jesus going to the cross. And the people, as they listened, became more and more contrite, more and more convinced. And then, and then Peter said this, All Israel, be assured of this, God has made this Jesus, who you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. Said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Promises for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. You come to follow Jesus, and you will receive a gift. This is the new covenant. This is newness. This is life. Jesus himself said this in another place. He said, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be where? In you. He will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. There's a tremendous Feast used to happen in the Jewish world called the Feast of Tabernacles, still happens. But on the last and greatest day of that feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that point, the time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not been glorified. So that was before crucifixion, before Pentecost. But now there are rivers of living water living within you wanting to get out. It's no longer, oh, I've got to somehow find God somehow and drag him down. He lives, he lives within you. That's the, the new covenant you live with. That's where momentum comes from. The Spirit of God living within us. You sang it using another analogy before. Let it rise, let it rise, holy fire burn inside. Not burn out there. Let it rise from within. So now we are people, if we're followers of Jesus, who, who have the, the presence of God through his spirit dwelling within us that gives us the motivation and the resource to live the life God wants us to live. And if we live this new covenant life, it Changes everything. Just a couple, let me just share with you a couple of things. That it changes, for example, our worship. Um, sometimes I, and I, I go to places and it, it seems like people feel they have to sing 
Like, like the Holy Spirit is in the atmosphere and he has to be coaxed down by our singing. Has to be coaxed down. And if we sing well enough and if the music's good enough and if the people lead the right way, then we can coax the Spirit down. No, no, no. You come, you bring the Spirit with you. To worship is to come and rivers of living water as you worship. That's what it's about. That's important that we grasp that. Sometimes people have said to me in a service, when did you feel the Holy Spirit entered the building this morning? I say when the first person walked in for sound check, because that's exactly when it happened. When you come into practice. We've got to get this straight, otherwise we get fuzzy about what it means to live this new covenant world. It affects our giving, our generosity. You see, under the old covenant, the, the, the law is the tithe, the motivation is obligation. Under the new covenant, it's everything. And the motivation is generosity. Why I say that is because I've, I've seen many people, and known a number of people, I've pastored three different churches over 30 years, and you know people who are religiously generous. In other words, they would tithe, or more than tithe even, every week in church. But they wouldn't buy you a feed. They wouldn't pay a bus ticket for you. So they're doing it out of obligation or this sort of rule, but their lives are not generous. You see, you've got the rivers of living water flowing generosity. It's now about all of it. Nothing we have belongs to us. It's all his. That's what matters. You know, the Apostle Paul says this, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. He gives you life, vibrancy. And if the spirit of God lives you, it makes all the difference. When you read scriptures like you do, someone talks about being filled with the spirit. It's not like the spirit comes in in bits and pieces. Being filled with the spirit is not like you get bits of the spirit along the way. It's about you. You make sure that you allow the spirit to fill you. You make sure you allow the spirit who God has given to you to be every part of you. Not just those little bits that are religious or those little bits that look good. But be filled with the Spirit. Because you've received the Spirit. That's why it's important to understand that. Live a new covenant faith. Knowing you have the permanent presence of Jesus living in you. That ought to change your life if nothing does. Second thought. And that's the longest one, so that's encouraging. eh? Second thought. Don't look for momentum elsewhere. Momentum is within. If that's true, then don't look for momentum elsewhere because the movement of God is within you. Sometimes we look around for the movement of God. As I said to you, I've pastored three churches and sometimes in those churches I felt like my spiritual GPS was letting me down because the work of God seemed to be happening there or there or there, but not as clearly here. So, you know, it's happened... 
was happening in Chicago, was happening in Toronto, was happening in Pensacola, or was happening in Los Angeles, or was happening somewhere else in someone else's church, but it wasn't happening in mine. What's, what's going on? Is there a movement of God somewhere else? Well, there may be, and that's great, but there's a movement of God here. You're the movement of God. You're the movement of God. God is moving in you because that's where his spirit dwells. That's what needs to happen. There's not one move of God. There's millions of moves of God all over this world, all over this country. People try to tell you something else because the, the danger of this is you sit down and just wait for the move of God. God just hit me. I've been a Christian 43 years and, and you know, I've been to, to prayer meetings that are revival prayer meetings and that's great. But I'm not sure I've ever seen happen what people are praying for. In other words, people are praying for a visitation from heaven but can't really describe it. Can't really define what that means. I'll look back to Welsh revivals or other kinds of revivals. We just want that again. And, and there's kind of this revivalist mentality. And I, I understand that. But revival's within. It's within you and it's within me. If you're expecting something from heaven greater than Jesus, you'll be disappointed. He is the greatest thing in heaven and he's been and he will come again. But if you're expecting some other visitation from heaven other than what he's given you by his spirit, we've got to get moving. Because that sort of stuff will just make us sit back and go, well, I'm just waiting for revival to happen. And it makes us a passive group of people rather than an active group of people. It's really important that we grasp that. Sometimes we, we pray for something from heaven. And it's, it's, like a, it's like a game of chess. I think sometimes we make a move, we're at a chess game with God playing, again, playing with us. And when we say to God, it's your move. And God looks across the table and says, it's your move. I've made a move. I've churned you from the inside out. I've made a move. Now it's your move. It's important that we grasp that. Third thing I want to say is this is the third thought. And it's this. Realize that you are more important in the work of God and his momentum in you than you think. That's a big long phrase. Realize that you are more important in the work of God and his momentum in you than you think. Let me illustrate that to you if I can. This morning, you're hearing two voices. You're hearing what I say, and then you're also hearing what you say about what I say. That's true, isn't it? You hear what I say, and then you say to yourself, oh, I agree with that, or he's crazy, or I don't agree with that, or I'm going to talk with him afterwards, or I'm going to tear him apart in the foyer, whatever, whatever that other voice is. But here's the deal. What you say about what I say holds more weight to you than what I say. It just does. What you say about what I say, now I, I hope there's congruence and I hope that's kind of we can agree on a lot of things, but what you say, what you hear that second voice of you say than what I say is more weighty in your life, holds more weight in your life than what I say. 
whether we like to admit it or not. And here's the sad thing. We do the same with God. God speaks to us. We hear what God says. But we also say, speak to us about what God says. And what we say about what God says holds more weight in our life than what God says. We don't like to admit that, but it's true. We hope there's congruence. We hope they're the same. But when they're not, what we say has more weight than what God says. For example, God says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And we say, sounds good, God, but you don't know my enemies. You don't know those people. So that holds a bit more weight than what God says. So you are more important in the work of God and his momentum in your life than you think you are. You think it's all about God. It's not. It's about you as well. How well you respond, how well you speak truth to you about what God says in his truth to you. It just, just is. We wish maybe that weren't the case. But God doesn't want puppets. He doesn't want to dangle us little strings on us and have little marionettes and just do. He gives us the free will. It's the first gift he's given us. So if we can choose to agree with what he says and etc., he's thrilled. But he's given us that free will. I want to share with you a story to finish, to conclude. It's a story in Luke chapter 7. It's a story where there's a centurion. So this is a man who's maybe God-fearing. He knows something about God and he knows something about Jesus. But his servant is sick and very sick, very ill. And he knows enough about God and God's people that he asks the elders where he is. Now, he's not a Jewish man. He's a, probably a, a Roman centurion. And he, <clears throat> he asked the, the, uh, sent the Jewish elders to go and if they could get Jesus to come and pray or be with his servant, then he would be well because he's, he knows that Jesus has done some tremendous things. Up until that point of time, has been... Tremendous miracles happen in Jesus' ministry. And so the elders go off and they kind of get Jesus to come. And He's on his way and the story says before he gets to the house, when he's still a way off, the man sends some of his friends to say to Jesus, and no doubt his entourage, stop, don't, don't come. Because you're a man under authority, and I'm a man under authority, and you just say the word, and he'll be healed. And Jesus sees this as an extraordinary event, because he stops and uses the teaching time for his entourage, not just his disciples, but all those who are following him. And there would have been many. And we read that. It says these words. When Jesus heard this, in other words, when he, when he heard the words of the man through other, his friends, when he heard this, he was amazed at him and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I've not found such great faith even in Israel. And the men who'd been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. So Jesus didn't get to the house. But the, the thing that amazed me and, and puzzled me for a while and still does a bit, I guess, is he said, I've not found faith like this in all of Israel. And, but if you read before, 
You see some of the stuff he's done. He's healed people whose friends have let him, let, let his, had four friends let him down through a roof and vandalized a home to get there. He's cast out demons. He's healed the sick. And yet he says, now I've not found faith like this in all of Israel. And the question is why? Why does he say it now and he hasn't said it before? Why is this, when he's done all those things and people have trusted him, why all that? Here's what I think it is. And this is why it's so important for us. This is the first time someone has trusted Jesus to do something like that miraculously when he wasn't there in person. See how important it is for us? It's the first time someone has said, you don't need to be here to do a miracle. I'm going to trust you to do it anyway. I can think of no other reason. I've not seen faith such as this. Every time up till now I've had to be there. I've had to be there when the sick were healed. I've had to be there when the lame walked. I've had to be there when the blind saw. I've had to be there when the man was raised down. I've had to be there. But now, here's someone said, I understand your authority because I'm a man under authority. You don't even have to be there. You just got to say the word. First time I've not seen faith like this in all of Israel. You see, you're more important in the work of God than you think. The trust, the belief. There are some puzzling things in the scriptures. I don't understand why some people were healed just by touching Paul's handkerchief. That wasn't God's idea, it was people's idea. I don't understand that. It's not a new theology. We don't have a hanky theology. It just happened. People trusted God for that. They chose. I don't understand why people sometimes were healed because they were in Peter's shadow. You know, read it. I don't get all that. don't understand it. It wasn't... God didn't say just stand in Peter's shadow. People chose that. And God honoured it some way. Because you're more important in the work of God than you think. Now, it's not presumption. It's not name it and claim it. It's none of that sort of stuff. But you're more important than you think. Because you have the Spirit of God living within you. God didn't give you the Spirit of God living within you. didn't usher in this new covenant into your life for you to be passive. He wants you to make a difference in the world in which you live. That's really important. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? We've sung it before, but we have obstacles, we have suffering. The, the, the devil will do anything to destroy your momentum. He may not destroy your faith, but he wants to destroy your momentum. He wants to make the intermission between those times you experience God and you know God at work in your life bigger and bigger and bigger and further apart and further apart and further apart. So you start to question it altogether. But you have momentum. The movement of God is here. The movement of God is in your life. The movement of God in, in, in Raymond Terrace is here as well as other churches here. It's not waiting, sitting back waiting for God to do something. Ensure you're living a New Testament, New Covenant life. You don't have to look for anywhere else. God is working in you. Trust him to be working in you. Because you, he's chosen for you to be a co-worker with him in the work that he does, not just 
a passive person. We read the scripture often and we, we focus on it. Now to him who's, do, who's able to do more, able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, and we often stop there. God's able to do more than we can ask or imagine. What does it say there? According to his power that is at work where? Within us. God's able to do more than you can dream of, more than you can imagine, more than you can think about because of the power, his power, which is within us. not our power. It's not our presumption. It's his power at work within us. Maybe you're here because you've lost a bit of momentum. Maybe you're here and you just need to hear that the Spirit of God, as a follower of Jesus, the Spirit of God dwells within you. Or if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, that that's what happens. You have a new resource. You have the person of, of, of Christ and the person of his Spirit dwelling within your life. As I said, the, the enemy doesn't have to wreck your faith if he wrecks the rhythm of your faith. It just takes that away and become more intermittent in your faith. God might want to just refresh your momentum today. And it would be unreasonable of me, as you would expect, to not finish by saying you can change the momentum in someone else's life. It's not just about you. It's not just about me. You can change the momentum in someone else's life. You've heard the story this morning of Rachel. You've seen some stories. You'll walk past that desk in a moment and you'll see photos like that. They're real people in a real world. This little guy's name is Shaluk. He is nearly four years of age. And there are others who have kids and their families for whom you can make a difference and you can change the momentum of their life forever. And I want to just encourage you to know that God wants to change the momentum and keep the momentum of your life going, but he wants to use you and me and to change the momentum of others. There are people in this community whose momentum needs to be changed. There are people in your workplace, in your sporting life, but there are people who are the most vulnerable people on the planet, children living in poverty, whose momentum you can change because a couple of cups of coffee a week. So I'm unashamed and challenging you for that. Change the momentum of others because God has changed yours. Let me pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you for your gift of life and love. We thank you that as followers of Jesus, you have deposited in us your spirit. Your spirit has borne witness with our spirit that we're children of God. Father, I pray that you help us live that way. You'll live this new covenant faith of trust and belief and momentum. And Father, I, I thank you that you have not created us to be puppets. You've created us to be followers, but you've created us to be people who choose to work alongside you and with you and trust you in faith and in ways that matter. Father, I thank you that you can use us to change the lives of the most vulnerable people in this, on this planet, the lives of children living in poverty. And I pray that you'll challenge us to do that today and be amazed at what you do. In Jesus' name, amen.